Lord, your word is a lamp unto my feet and a light to my path. And Father, as we engage with your word this morning, we pray that you would light our path that leads us into a deeper, richer, fuller relationship with you. I pray, Lord God, that you would light that path in our lives. Wherever we're at this morning, wherever we are, that you would light that path that leads us into a closer, more vibrant, fuller, fulfilling, abundant relationship with you. I ask that you would anoint the words that will be spoken this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen, amen. So last week we began a new uh, sermon series and we are going through the book of Colossians. It's a small uh, book in the New Testament, four chapters. And so last week we started in chapter one. Uh, This week we're moving on to chapter two. Uh, But the passage that we looked at last week in in chapter one was uh, from verse 15 to 18. And really that passage, it sets the tone, it sets the message of the, for the entire letter. First Corinthians, or Colossians 1.15 talks about the supremacy of Christ, the centrality of Christ over all creation, over all things, and over our lives, right? And so it's a powerful verse. It's a very poetic uh, passage, very uh, rhythmic. In fact, scholars uh, agree that many scholars agree that Colossians 1, 15 to 20 was a part of a hymn that the early church sung. Um, again, singing about Jesus, who he is. He's the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. For by him, all things were created in heaven, on earth, whether visible, invisible, right? That, that, that it just talks about who Jesus is. And, um, Today we're going to be, you know, looking at chapter 2, and you'll see as we, as we, you know, go through the verses in chapter 2 that this pervasive theme of the centrality of Christ is there. The supremacy of Christ is there. And so today as we go, we're going to start in verse 1, and, you know, it's going to be kind of like a canoe trip, okay? We're going to go on a canoe trip together through Colossians. We're going to start in verse 1. We're going to paddle through chapter 2, starting in verse 1. We're going to stop at some verses here and there, you know, stop in, take in the sights, right? And then we're going to make it to our destination, the hot spot, which is Colossians 2, 13 to 15. Um, And so let's begin. Here we go. Uh, Colossians 2, verse 1. For I want you to know how great a struggle I have for you and for those at Laodicea and for all who have not seen me face to face, that their hearts may be encouraged, being knit together in love to reach all the riches of full assurance of understanding and the knowledge of God's mystery, which is Christ, in whom are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. I say this in order that no one may delude you with plausible arguments." Okay, we're going to stop there for a moment. So Paul here in the opening verses of Colossians 2, he's, he's expressing a concern for the church. He's expressing a concern for the church in Colossae. And the concern, the concern is that the church is falling into deception through plausible arguments. That's the wording he uses. Now in those days, public speaking was, was a big deal. Okay? It was the main tool for transmitting information to the people. In Rome, they didn't have newspapers. They didn't have magazines. They didn't have Facebook, Twitter, Reddit, 
CNN.com, they didn't have any of that, right? The main way they transmitted information was through people, speakers, orators, public speakers. And so public speaking was a big deal. And um, there was people like Cicero. Maybe you've heard of that name. Cicero was a great Roman orator. He was a philosopher, a political spokesperson. Now, these people, when they gave speeches, it wasn't just simply to give some information. It was to give information in such a way as to influence the masses, right? To make them, you know, believe certain things, to, to adhere to certain values. And um, this, this was common, very common. And uh, this is what Paul is talking about uh, when he's talking about, you know, that he doesn't want the church to be deluded with plausible arguments. He's talking about these speakers, these orators that, um, you know, transmit information to the masses. Now, Colossae, I mentioned last week, was a very diverse city in Rome. It was a small city, but very diverse because it was along a major trade route. Okay, it's like being on the side of the 401, right? Major trade route. And so many different people would go through Colossae, Right? It was a, there was a diversity of belief systems, thoughts, ideas, uh, and so on. And so Colossae was a hub for diversity, wide range of views, especially on spiritual matters, and even on views, even views of Jesus, right? We're very diverse in Colossae, right? Paul was concerned that the Colossian church was being led astray by certain orators and persuasive speakers that led people away from the centrality of Christ through persuasive, plausible argumentation, right? Now, in contrast, Paul says this. He's like, in, in 1 Corinthians 2, he says, I didn't come to you with wise and persuasive words, right? I came to you with a demonstration of the Spirit's power, right? Now, here's the thing. If someone said something to you that was totally ludicrous, right? Just totally off the wall, I mean, you wouldn't buy it. If someone came up to you and said, you know what, Jesus, he was actually not really a man, but he was an angel named Bing Bong or something ridiculous like that, okay? You would, you would hear that and be like, what is he talking about? This guy's crazy. Like, it wouldn't, it's not plausible. It's nonsense. So you wouldn't believe that, right? So something that's said that's totally off the wall, a totally outrageous lie, of course, it's not going to persuade you. The type of lie that persuades you is the one that mimics truth, that comes alongside truth. It sounds like truth, but it's twisted slightly, right? Now, I'm not totally against good arguing, good debating, right? I'm not against that. It's not totally bad, but the type that takes us, pulls us away from the centrality of Christ is very dangerous. And that was happening in Colossae because the Greeks and the Romans, they were masters at these philosophical conversations and giving speeches to draw people away, um, especially away from Jesus. And Paul is saying, look, to the church, he's saying, look, you don't need this extra wisdom. You don't need this outside wisdom, right? All of the hidden treasures of knowledge and wisdom is found in Christ, right? Again, if you want to know God, if you want to know who God is, you want to know what God is like, you look at Jesus. Paul goes on in verse 5. We're going to continue canoeing. 
For though I am absent in the body, yet I am with you in spirit, rejoicing to see your good order and the firmness of your faith in Christ. Therefore, as you received Christ Jesus the Lord, so walk in him, rooted and built up in him and established in the faith. Now, again, Paul is just just hammering that home. Be rooted, be built up, be established. He's saying stay focused on Jesus. That's what he's saying with all these words. Stay focused on Jesus. Just as you were taught, abounding in thanksgiving. See to it that no one takes you captive by philosophy and empty deceit according to human tradition, according to the elemental spirits of the world, and not according to Christ. For in him the whole fullness of deity dwells bodily, and you have been filled in him who is the head of all rule and authority. Now the point I want to make here is verse 8, right? See to it that no one takes you captive by philosophy and empty deceit, according to human tradition, according to the elemental spirits of the world. Now, again, this passage is in conjunction with what Paul was saying earlier. Don't be deluded by plausible arguments. And for the new Christian in Colossae, this was perhaps the main way they were led astray. The main way that they were led to away from Jesus. It was a pathway that took them away from that transforming, living relationship with Jesus to a world of ideas and human traditions, rules that kept things at purely a human level. Right? I just want to make a point, though, before I go on. Traditions aren't altogether bad. Right? There are some traditions that are actually very positive. Traditions that are passed on from generation to generation, especially the traditions that point to Jesus, that point to the centrality of Christ, that brings us into a more full and vibrant relationship with Christ. Those traditions are great, right? It's good to pass those traditions on, okay? Many of those traditions like prayer, like discipline in, in scripture reading, devotional times. These are positive. They're, they're spiritual disciplines. And we need, to, we need to have those in our lives in order to maintain that vibrant relationship with Jesus. And so not all traditions are bad. However, there are traditions that pull us away from the centrality of Christ and puts the focus back on ourselves, right? And for the new believers in Colossae, the human traditions, what Paul is getting at is Judaism, Right? Keeping a large set of rules in order to make yourself holy. Right? In order to make yourself ceremonially clean. The problem is you can't make yourself holy. You can't do that. Right? One could put all their focus on not breaking the Sabbath by not doing this on that day and not doing that. Right? Or one could put all their focus on staying ceremonial clean by not touching certain things and not hanging around certain people. I mean, you could do all that, but it's not about the rules that you kept. It's about the heart. And Jesus talks about this extensively in his ministry, right? It's about the heart. Now, back to the passage, the next thing. According to the elemental spirits of the world. That's an interesting sentence there, elemental spirits of the world. In Greek, what Paul used was the word stoikia, Okay, the word stoichia is an interesting word, and it's actually found in Jewish mysticism texts, Jewish occult texts. And, and that word means heavenly bodies or spirit beings, spirit, actual spiritual beings. Right? Paul is saying that there are spiritual beings okay, that actually draw people away from Christ, 
right? So these philosophies, human traditions, they fall under stoichia or the elemental spirits of the world. In fact, he, he says it again in verse 19. He uses that word again in verse 19. If with Christ you died to the elemental spirits of the world, why, as if you were still alive in the world, do you submit to regulations? Do not handle, do not taste, do not touch, referring to things that all perish as they are used according to human precepts and teachings. These have indeed an appearance of wisdom in promoting self-made religion and asceticism and severity to the body, but they are of no value in stopping the indulgence of the flesh. Paul is talking about the religious spirit. There's actually something called the religious spirit, spiritual entities that pull people away from the freedom in Christ and into bondage with human religion and rule keeping, right? See, there's a big difference. Traditions that pull away from the centrality of Christ, that keeps us focused on rules and regulations and so on, it's driven by fear. Fear that I need to stay holy. I need to stay in this sweet spot. It's driven by fear. But with Christ, our lives are driven not by fear. It's driven by faith. Faith in Jesus is a big difference, right? And Paul, he, he just hits it right on the head in the next verse. Again, the answer, it's Christ. Verse 9, for in him, the whole fullness of deity dwells bodily, and you have been filled in him, who is the head of all rule and authority. Paul says that you and I, we have been filled in Christ, right? Filled means there's no more room left. You're full. We're full. We are filled with Christ. All the fullness of God is in Christ. All All the fullness of Christ is in you. We don't need to add anything. If you add things to Jesus, we pull away from his all-sufficiency. That's what Paul's saying here. Okay, moving on in verse 11. In him also you were circumcised with a circumcision made without hands by putting off the body of the flesh by the circumcision of Christ. Now, that's an interesting way to put things, right? I mean, it's an odd it's an odd image, right? Circumcision. Um, circumcision is that weird thing that happens to, you know, some, we all know, some baby boys, they get the snips. Uh, it's just a, a, one of those weird things, and it comes from the Jewish tradition. The symbol of it, though, is covenant with God. Again, cutting off the flesh. It's, it's, a, it's a way that we make a covenant with God, or the, the Jewish people made a covenant with God. It represents a covenant with God. And Paul's using that term to say we have a covenant now with Christ. And that cutting away happens to Christians. And the thing that gets cut off is sin, right? It says putting off the body of flesh. He's talking about sin, right? So circumcision, when we are circumcised with Christ, it's really saying we have a covenant now with Christ. And what's been cut off is sin, right? Verse 12, having been buried with him in baptism in which you were also raised with him through faith in the powerful working of God who raised him from the dead. This is such a powerful picture that Paul paints for what it means to be baptized. You know, I love baptism services, right? They're so great. And it represents something so beautiful, right? When we go under the water. See, Christ died for our sin. 
And when we are baptized, we are joining him in, in, in his death. And our old self dies. And, and Jesus, he, he was raised from the dead. And because we are joined with Christ, we rise too to new life. Beautiful picture, right? That's, what circum- or, that's not what circumcision is all about. It's what baptism is all about, right? And you who are dead in your trespasses and the uncircumcision of your flesh, God made alive together with him, having forgiven us all our trespasses uh, by canceling the record of debt that stood against us with its legal demands. This he set aside, nailing it to the cross. He disarmed the rulers and authorities and put them to open shame by triumphing over them in him. So here we are. We've arrived at our destination this is our hot spot. This is where we're going to camp for the remainder of the sermon. Colossians 2, 13 to 15. This passage is so rich. It's like a gold mine of truth, right? It's so rich. I could probably spend another three weeks on just these three verses here. But there's a lot here. And, you know, really these three verses summarize beautifully what the Christian faith is all about. Colossians 2, 13 to 15 is what distinguishes Christianity from all the other world religions. Okay? It's a hot spot. So let's read that again. And I just want to ask you to join me in reading Colossians 2, 13 to 15. Let's just read this together. And you who were dead in your trespasses and the uncircumcision of your flesh, God made alive together with him, having forgiven us all our trespasses by canceling the record of debt that stood against us with its legal demands. This he set aside, nailing it to the cross. He disarmed the rulers and authorities and put them to open shame by triumphing over them in him. This passage just points to the beauty of Christianity. You see, most people who don't know Jesus, who are not followers of Jesus, and some who are believers of Jesus, misunderstand Christianity. They misunderstand it. You see, Christianity is not a religion about making people better people. Christianity is not about that. It's not about coming to church on Sunday to hear the preacher tell you 10 steps to become a better human being. That's not what Christianity is about. It's not about how to learn to love more, give more, try harder and be good. I remember seeing this YouTube clip. It was kind of hilarious. Pastor comes up to the pulpit and he's like about to give a reading and looks at the church. He's like, Oh, and he just loses it. He goes, just be good. Why are you so bad? <laughs> anyway, <laughs> it's so funny. But that's, that's, not what the, that's not what it's all about, okay? That's not what Christianity is about. It's not about becoming a better version of you. Christianity is about dead people coming to life, right? And you who were dead. Christianity is about Coming to life. That's what it's about, right? Dead people coming to life. Each and every human being who is born in this world, we are spiritually insensitive to God. We're blind. We're, we, we're just, we don't grasp. We, we, there's, there's, there's a separation between us and God. 
That's what it means to be spiritually dead. It's not that we're walking corpses. That's that's not what Paul's saying here. It's saying we are dead to one thing, but we are alive to another thing. Well, what is that thing? We're dead to God. We're insensitive towards God, and we are alive in sin. That's what it's talking about. Dead in our trespasses. We are in something. It's that state of being that we are in. Just picture yourself in the ocean. You're out in the middle of the ocean, right? You're water everywhere. Water in front of you, behind you, all around you, right? That's the state you are in. You are underwater, okay? Underwater. So the beauty of Christianity, right, isn't about doing something less or being better at something, that's like saying, I came an inch out of the water today. Or, or I, I, I went a bit forward today. Right? That's what it means. Oh, it's, it's just about being good. You just got to be a good person. That's, that's kind of what it's saying. Oh, I just, I came out of the water an inch today. So what? That doesn't matter. You're still in the water. So the Christian faith, the beauty of Christianity is that God, not me, not you, God took us out of the water and placed us in a whole different place altogether. That's what the Christian faith is about. Paul says, God made you alive together with him, having forgiven us all our trespasses. So what does it mean to be a Christian? It means that we are forgiven, totally forgiven. How? How many sins? All our sins Do you know what the Greek word for all is? All. All our sin. Past, present, future. Dealt with. Isn't that amazing? That's amazing grace. Amen. Amen. But how? How could that be? All my sin? What I'm going to sin tomorrow? A week from now? A year from now? How? You know, God is big. Don't you think God is big enough to know that we will sin a day later, a month later, and yet still send his son to die on the cross for our sin? All of it, he's bigger. God is bigger. So how? Verse 14, by canceling the record of debt that stood against us with its legal demands, this he set aside, nailing it to the cross. The word for record of debt, literally when translated from Greek, means a legal document that proves a person's guilt in court. That's what that is, right? It's a record of charges against you. Jesus Christ canceled yours. He canceled mine. It's been canceled. It's been set aside. It was nailed to the cross. Jesus was nailed to the cross, taking away our sin and canceling the record of debt forever, forever. Now, you might be thinking, James, what, how could that be? Now, what, why, why was this important for Paul to mention to the church in Colossae? Okay. Why was it so important? Because there were groups, religious groups, that pulled the new believers away from this amazing new reality— of being a freedom in Christ from standing 
being plucked out of religion and into grace, plucked out of sin into grace. And there were groups that were saying, no, you need to come back. You need to come back to follow these traditions and rules, promoting self-religion, self-indulging religion, right? Back into a world of precepts and principles that keep us in bondage. And you might be thinking, well, James, isn't it good though? Isn't it, isn't it good? Because, you know, Christians, we, as Christians, we, we do fall into sin. Isn't it good that we have precepts, rules, and regulations to get out of that? Well, let me point you to a part in this text that says this. You know, when, ta- when Paul talks about being made alive in God together with him, you know, he mentions something. You see, in verse 13, Paul mentions the uncircumcision of your flesh. Again, that word circumcision is used again. Circumcision, again, was a Jewish tradition of cutting away a part of the flesh, right? Make a covenant with God, literally to form a covenant with God, right? Christians are those who have been circumcised in the heart, right? Romans 2, 29 says this, but a Jew is one inwardly, and circumcision is a matter of the heart by the spirit, not by the letter. So in other words, when a person is in Christ, they receive a new heart, By the Spirit, the old heart is cut away and the new heart is placed within that person. And this new heart triggers every time a Christian falls into sin. It triggers. If we we start going a a, a different path, it goes beep, beep. You're off track. You know, this come this way. It's like a GPS, right? We have a GPS system put in. God's positioning spirit. Pretty clever, right? Eh? <laughs> GPS. God's, yeah, I like that. I like that one. That one's good. That's good. Good, good, good one, James. <clears throat> we have that, right? To say you've made a wrong turn. It's the conviction of the Holy Spirit. That's how we are led now, right? It's not these outside set of regulations and rules. It's the Holy Spirit and our new heart together bringing us into a vibrant relationship with Jesus. And if we go off track, it says, beep, 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 beep. Let's come back on track here. Okay? We have a new heart. Amen? Amen. Christians are those who have a new heart, who experiences conviction when we go off track. I remember... Uh, this was a little while ago when, um, you know, I started working and having to file my taxes for the first time. I'm not good at that kind of stuff. You know, organization is just not, just doesn't click here for some reason. I'm not good with organizing papers and all that. Thankfully, my wife is my uh, organizer, but uh, I just, I, I was overwhelmed, and so I had to talk to somebody about it, you know, what do I do? I got to file taxes, what do I need? And I remember in that conversation, this person was just, uh, you know, telling me what I should do, but he was also saying, like, you know, that I could cut corners this way, and I don't have to, you know, file this, and I don't really have to uh, claim this, and I was like, you know, just something went off in my heart, and I, I just, it didn't feel right, Right? I mean, it was a little thing, but still, it just didn't feel right in my heart. But to that person, it was no big deal. There's no guilt in that person, right? But, but for some reason in me, it's just, no, that's just, it's just not right. And that's weird because prior to coming to know Jesus, I wouldn't have cared about that kind of thing, right? It's like, fudge the numbers? Sure, who cares, right? Government cares. <laughs> I would have said something like that. 
But for some reason, it's just something was just not sitting right. And I was like, you know, no, no, I, I, we got to do it the right way. I just want to, you know, do it the right way. And um, I, that was the Holy Spirit together with this new heart that God had placed inside me to say, you know, this is the right way. You know, we have a new heart together with the Holy Spirit in us that guides us to truth, to righteous living, towards relationship with God. So for those of us who are in Christ Jesus, we'd be given a new heart and a new life. How do you ask? How, how, how is that given? Verse 12. Having been buried with him in baptism, in which you were also raised with him through faith in, power, in the powerful working of God who raised him from the dead, you and I are raised with Christ through faith. Through faith. When you believe in Jesus, when you put your trust in Jesus to be your all-sufficient Savior from your sins, to be your Lord who reigns supreme over your life, to be your greatest treasure in whom is found all the riches and glory of wisdom and knowledge, when you place your faith in Jesus, all the beautiful promises of Colossians 2, 13 to 15 are ours, are yours. They are given new life in Christ, total forgiveness of sins, past, present, future, guilty no more. What a promise. What a message. That's the gospel. That's the gospel of Jesus Christ. And that message continues to be preached from 60 AD in Colossae even to today, transforming people's lives, taking people from sinners to saints, to new life in Christ, setting people free from the bondage of sin. That's the gospel of Jesus Christ. That is the center of this message in Colossians 2. It's the center of the Christian faith. It's the center of what Paul was preaching to the Colossians, and we continue to preach that today. Christ is our all in all for all eternity, whose supremacy and centrality over the universe will one day be seen by every eye. Amen? To Christ be the glory and honor and praise. Amen. Amen. Let us pray. Father, we want to acknowledge in this moment that Jesus, you are the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. You are God most high, And yet you came down here to walk among us, to be among us, to live among us. You became one of us. You lived a sinless life. And you died on the cross to take away our sin forever, canceling the record of debt, remembering them no more, total forgiveness, all because of what you have done. We acknowledge that. And Father, we thank you. We thank you for sending your Holy Spirit to guide us, to be with us always, now and forever, to seal us, to keep us. So Father, I pray that here at Trinity Church, this message, this message will be preached to bring people into that full, the fullness of who you are. I pray for an anointing, an anointing to preach the gospel wherever we go. I pray, Lord God, that you would draw us even now 
closer to you. Wherever we are at in our lives right now, Holy Spirit, come, draw us to you. Thank you for the work that you are doing in our lives. We, got, we give all the praise and glory to you in Jesus' name. Amen. 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 God bless you. Have a great week.